Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody, it's Nikki Nellis, and welcome to another episode of Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. So if you're just tuning in for your first time, let me give you a little bit of a 411 on me and what I do. I've been covering the DC food and wine scene for the last 18 years. It all started with the listareyouwanted.com, an online e-zine that goes out to over 40,000 subscribers. And we really do cover every little thing happening in the DC metro area for the food, wine, and hospitality scene. Um, you can also hear me every Sunday, not live, recorded on uh, 1500 Foodie and the Beast, my husband and my radio show. We've been on for 15 years. That's a food and wine variety show, lots of fun. Uh, lots of action, lots of good times, so you can always tune into that. You do hear me on WTOP every now and again when I do trend reports of what's happening in the hospitality scene. Uh, just this week, I was on with Major Garrett on his new podcast, The Debrief, talking about pandemic pop-ups. You can find that on the list, areyouonit.com. What you can also find on the list is things happening that you should be participating in. So first of all, believe it or not, even though we are a year into this pandemic, restaurants are opening a lot. Like not at the speed that it's normally at, but there is some great, great concepts that you need to check out. In fact, Fox Truck Market just opened up on Monday. I checked it out yesterday. Uh, I had the owner, Mike Lavatola, on Foodie and the Beast last week. It's a really cool concept. They're doing really interesting things, and the aesthetic is on point. Um, and as winter blooms into spring, so too changes outdoor dining offerings. I think we're going to see those igloos melt, and yurts are going to go away, and all of a sudden we're going to be looking at rosé gardens and lots of fun ways that the outdoors are going to be activated. So that, too, will be on the site. Don't forget that there are events happening, virtual and in-person, cheese tastings, wine samplings, and of course, International Women's Day is coming up, and the women behind Women's Food Fest, as always, are rocking out fabulous ways for you to participate with conversations, uh, dinners, gift bags, and etc. So please check out what they're doing. All that information is on the site. So is the latest of the Power of 10 initiative. Eric Bruner Yang is blowing up his charity, and you really need to see what he's doing. St. Patrick's Day celebrations are going to be kicking off before you know it. And it will be soon time to set your table for either Passover or Easter or both if you celebrate both. All of that, again, is on the website, so please check that out. Lastly, as I do on every single show in the beginning and in the end, uh, support your local retailers and restaurants. Uh, just because the sun is shining outside and it looks like spring, it still feels like winter. Uh, we are still in the middle of this pandemic. The light is at it, the light is at the end of the tunnel, but uh, people are still struggling. So buy gift cards, uh, dine out often if you can. And uh, I personally do neighborhood drops. I bring restaurants uh, to my neighborhood, whether I go downtown and pick it up for my neighbors or they come here and drop it off. Uh, for example, Little Sesame is coming to my house tonight, and we have 30 orders. Uh, from the neighborhood for them. So you can get creative and find ways to engage maybe with your neighborhood and also uh, help support local restaurants. Okay, on that note, um, during these times, as we've discussed on this show often, 
people and businesses have had to pivot and swivel and really contort themselves in all sorts of ways to survive and hopefully thrive, right? So we'll call it outside of the box thinking. And if you give me a second, you'll totally see where I'm going. So later on today's show, we're gonna talk about collaborations and collaboration kitchens and how do these spaces work and why would businesses in this area go that route? Is a flexible kitchen space helpful to the small business? So later we're gonna be talking to people you've heard before, uh, Elliot Spasman of Astro Donuts and Fried Chicken, Valerie Swig of uh, Prescription Chicken, and Maria Iltruda, <laughs> I'm trying, uh, close, uh, with Saya Saltenia. That one I got right. Um, she will correct me later on my mispronunciation of her name. Uh, but first, as we do um, every other week, I'm so fortunate, Kathy Hollinger, who is super duper busy, from the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington joins me to catch us up on what's happening really in the restaurant scene from a, a different perspective, not from the layperson perspective, from like in it perspective. So Kat, there's so much happening. Can we talk first about vaccines and what's happening with restaurant workers getting vaccinated? Sure, Nick. Uh, it's been it's been tough with vaccinations. I mean, the last couple of weeks have been somewhat of a cluster in terms of platforms and technology and access, putting aside volume in terms of the amount of vaccinations that are coming into the region. It's just been really difficult to secure a spot or the system opens and two minutes later, they're completely full. So it appears that a lot of those kinks have been worked out. The challenge really is that, you know, in DC, for example, February 1 was this date where vaccinations may open for our industry. Mm -hmm. Here we are almost second week of March and, you know, outside of food distribution and packaging, which there are only a limited number of spots that were confirmed, it's still really slow moving. I think Biden's um, announcement a couple nights ago uh, was very promising that our timeline has been bumped up, that maybe by the end of May, you know, everyone who wanted a vaccination would have been vaccinated, I believe at least dose one. That's really promising knowing that every single day matters, but we're, we're getting there. Um, we're still not in that category where we are fully able to register, but in DC, they are going to a pre-registration format where at least you can get on the system and rather than getting kicked off, you can put your name in, you are pre-registering and the date then comes to you following with your confirmed appointment if you qualify under the particular category. That sounds so much easier than constantly refreshing, refreshing, and then having to keep entering that information over and over and over again. I mean, yes, it absolutely is. Absolutely is. <laughs> so, but there's a lot of other things moving and shaking uh, this week. So the council, the DC council had a legislative session yesterday yes. and they're doing a lot of stuff. So there's a 5% commission cap? What is, what is happening with that? Yeah, so uh, let me, and you're, I'm thinking yesterday, it was two days ago, you know, okay. all the days blend together. But yes, they had their le legislative session. Really, a lot of it was rooted in giving the mayor the authority to extend the emergency, which is a procedural um, act that has to happen to give her the permission to extend to the end of May, which is really what Tuesday's session was about. 
um, what that did and why it's important is that any allowance or relief that went into place in early March or late March, I think it was when they met, it is now extended through the end of May, including things like the cap on third party delivery, that 15% cap. What they added is this 5% cap that applies to those who are using platforms to have guests come in and pick up to go. It's not delivery, but it's the idea that you may use, um, and I don't mean to isolate or alienate, but you may use you know, DoorDash right. to put in a pickup order mm -hmm. rather than a delivery order. That operator is still charged for that, that use of platform fee. So the idea here is that there is a cap on the use of platform fee. And listen, there are a lot of people who have a lot of different feelings about what we are doing as an organization and industry in, in, in encouraging these caps. We are going to encourage the caps. <laughs> we're going to encourage it permanently. I mean, listen, we're, I feel like, you know, there's so much that the lay person doesn't know. No, or, or would they know because it, it wasn't of essence right it wasn't that necessary but now that everybody has to use these platforms it sort of takes us to like the open table conflict right completely it's the exact same story but there's a lot of players completely and i think yep. that what you're gonna see and hear is there is going to be momentum to make this permanent mm -hmm. and it will be a permanent active business going forward. The reality is that everybody needs these third party platforms. We need it more than ever right now as we are so limited in what we can do as, as businesses. Mm -hmm. So we need to cap it because again, I always say, if we lose, you lose. If we win, you win. Like there should be no formula where we're losing and others are winning, not in a pandemic period. Oh. Well, and honestly, going forward, I mean, I love how people, you know, razor thin margins is like the restaurant motto, right? So even going forward, we want to change that motto. That should not be the restaurateur's lament, right? The That's business right. needs to be profitable going forward. And these are things for us to take with us. I, I'm yeah. totally with you on that. All right, let's talk about the Fair Meals, uh, Fair Meals Delivery Emergency Declaration. What is that? So that is actually the, that is the um, idea that it's again, building on this third party, what works, what doesn't work. It's the idea that any third party platform that is delivering meals should be delivering meals in a very transparent way where they have an agreement or contract in place with that restaurant or that operation. And if they don't, they should be fined because at the end of the day, for example, Last week I ordered, um, and it was unfortunately through a third party platform, but I had to, <laughs> um, I ordered and they got the order completely wrong. And there's really no transparency to contact the third party delivery versus what a consumer is going to do, which is call the restaurant immediately. Right. I did both. The restaurant had no idea what was going on. They said, we do not have a relationship with the third party vendor. So their integrity is compromised. Their quality is compromised because you have this rogue nature of a system where a third party delivery operator is just saying, sure, I can go and pick up from there and deliver, but there's no agreement in place. This requires 
that an agreement has to be put in place and a contract has to be put in place to be able to render that service. Well, I think that's incredibly important. And again, talk about something the lay person doesn't know, right? Like here you are, you think you're really supporting a restaurant and you are sort of, you, I mean, money is getting to them, but it's, it's kind of sneaky, right? Like seems it's disingenuous. Kind of it's, it's not transparent and it seems disingenuous. And, you know, I would say that every restaurant or business, let's say business, we don't want the government layering on mandate after mandate. We don't want that for ourselves, but this is a very different circumstance where again, it's we are bringing in very little money. A lot is going out the door. How can we control the hemorrhaging that's happening? And this is one area we can as we build back um, up to some level of normal operating model or hours. So that also happened on Tuesday. And then workplace safety, which was another bill that um, is in consideration and in final vote. And that's really around protecting employees that are in these workplaces and creating the provisions for them to be safe, for them to have the benefits that they need, but also wanted to make sure that it didn't become incredibly burdensome for the industry right now, knowing that anything and everything that is required that is outside of what they are already required to do, this is just not the time to do it. So um, a lot happened Tuesday, but most importantly, you know, we're just hoping that there's more communication around the runway of how we can reopen as an industry, knowing that everybody needs to plan. And even if there is, you know, not going to happen for 60 days, just communicate something <laughs> that is clear right. so we can all plan and we know and we can hire people back. And I will tell you, Nikki, that has really been my big push is trying to be really kind and patient. But right now, we really need to know what the spring is going to look like as we are all just trying to take steps forward. Right. And I'm totally with you. All right, Kath, thank Kathy Hollinger, Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. Thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody, we're going to take a quick break. This is Nikki Nellis on Industry Night. When we come back, collaborative kitchens. What is it? What does it mean? And how are you eating through it? We'll be back in just a sec. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. Did you know that you can ask Alexa to hear me? Just say, hey, Alexa, turn on Industry Night on Real Fun DC and boing, I will be on. You can also subscribe, which is another great way to always stay in touch with what I'm doing. Okay, so we just heard from Kathy Hollinger, who is always a wealth of information. And some of it may sound a little insider baseball because we are talking about the restaurant industry, but everything that affects the industry also affects you, the consumer. It's really important to remember that. And it's important to remain involved because your voice will help those businesses that, you know, whether it's your favorite neighborhood restaurant or your favorite destination dinner place, these are all places that we want to uh, be there in the, uh, in the new normal. Um, so we're talking about collaborative kitchens. And I mean, we've talked about pop-ups and um, ghost kitchens and all that kind of fun stuff, but this is a little different. And I'm so excited to bring in the group today. So Valerie Zweig and I go way back. Um, she 
She used to be in PR, actually. It's like a dirty little secret. But uh, she now uh, has been rocking her prescription chicken. So, Val, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for um, having me. Tell us a little bit about your business and your business model and the products you're producing. Yes. So Prescription Chicken is a chicken soup business. We started our business as a chicken soup delivery business. And over the last few years, we've, you know, pivoted and, and explored different functions, food halls, delivery and grocery retail. And so today we are focusing on um, delivery. So direct to consumer through the third party delivery apps and grocery retail. Okay. So, but let's talk about what the actual products are. Oh, chicken soup. Yeah. So yeah. we have all different types of chicken soup and sort of everything in the chicken soup space. So everything that would make you feel better uh, in some form. So we've got, you know, many different types of chicken soup. So from a matzo ball to a spicy hangover to a, a couple of vegetarian options that are, you know, inspired by chicken soup. We have our play on a ramen, our play on a pho, an Italian wedding soup. Well, sorry, a, a wedding soup, non-denominational. We use matzo balls instead of meatballs. And we have, um, a a creamy pot pie as well. And then sort of ancillary items. So uh, salted chocolate chip cookies, orange juice, ginger ale. So everything that you would want delivered straight to your door if you were feeling less than 100%. Oh, so is the ginger ale and orange juice sort of new or is that always well, No, it's our, you know, those are sort of the two, like we don't feel well beverages. So no, no, ginger ale is my Windex. That's the cure all. Like <laughs> totally. I'm totally with you. Like if you don't feel well, I'm like, you should take ginger ale. Like exactly. that's it. Um, <laughs> So I, t I, it must be a Jewish thing. <laughs> anyway, okay. So you created this business. You knew right away you were going to do delivery only, but like now you're you're in Whole Foods. So what's the process to do something like that? I mean, how does one? How did you figure out how to do packaging, like I and co-packing? Like, how did you do all that? Can you give us like a little? We don't want to steal your secrets, but how did you go about doing all that? Because that's not easy. Yeah, it's fascinating. So um, my cousin Taryn and I, she's my co-founder. And so between the two of us, we have, you know, it, it's really been an interesting journey. Um, you know, we started making the soup ourselves, right? As many food entrepreneurs do, we started in Mess Hall and, you know, we you know, purchased 100 quart pots, which were, you know, three quarters of the size of my height. Like they were so big. And we, we started making these soups ourselves. And as we evolved through the different forms of the business, you know, we got very familiar. So we knew how the containers performed, how the bags performed. So we really had a general sense of all that information. Mm -hmm. um, when we, when we decided that we wanted to get into retail grocery, um, because our soup is a chicken product and it's an all natural chicken product, we don't use, you know, base or bouillon or, you know, any of that to make our soup. Um, and we have a high percentage of chicken in the, in the recipe. You have to work in a kitchen that has a USDA inspector and be a USDA inspected site. And as a small business, we said, all right, we don't know if we will ever be able to a find that space, scale that business. Oh, and do you know how long it takes to get that accreditation? Yes, totally. I, mean, I mean, that's a nightmare. It's crazy. And right. we said, like, we want to work on selling the brand. We don't necessarily want to be rolling the matzo balls for the rest of our lives. So we went down the process and we found a manufacturer and, um, you know, we worked with an initial manufacturer and then we did a switch to a new manufacturer. Really, our goal was like, can you do volume? Because we have sort of big plans in terms of getting our soup uh, really across the country. Um, and so we needed volume. We needed machinery. And so, you know, it did more from um, you know, from the one big open pot bubbling away to a little bit more, um, 
you know, machine focused. Um, but through that process, you know, we know exactly which container, you know, spent a lot of time going to grocery stores and looking at the bottom of plastic containers, but just trying to see the different ones that will work and then understanding the process. And then getting into stores, I mean, we are very lucky to have some really amazing mentors and advisors. And so, you know, it's introductions, but, you know, not to toot our own horns, our soup is really, really delicious. And it's different than what is on the shelves. I do keep the spicy hangover and I make a delicious chicken soup. I just want to tell you, but the spicy hangover is in my freezer. Like it's my daughter and I, that's our like go-to. I know you never share it with David. Uh, <laughs> you never share it with David. <laughs> figure out his own lunch. I mean, you know, but no, um, I, we dig it. We love it. So, okay. So now, but then you have a brick and mortar. You do. So because because the reason the business started was I got laryngitis twice in six weeks. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I live above a grocery store. I'm a trained chef, but there just wasn't a good chicken soup that I could get delivered to my door. And this is critical. And, and at a reasonable price. Well, right. You'd have to spend knew, like, I remember wanting to send my college age kids like chicken totally. soup. Mm -hmm. And it was like $50 for like a little, I was like, that's not what I want. Plus, plus, if you wanted to like, plus, you know, $40 of shipping. That's exactly right. We wanted to make it accessible. Right. And so we sort of said like, hey, let's let's do this thing. And granted, we, we launched right at the beginning before Uber Eats and, I mean, I think we launched the same time as Uber Eats in DC. But mm -hmm. the reality is, is that it's still such a usable thing. When people need something, they're not feeling well, this is a really good opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, so we also feel like it is, it is such, it, it's, it's, it's a marketing opportunity, right? Like we are connecting, we send soup to you if you're not feeling well, we send soup to someone else from you who isn't feeling well. And so we make, we make people feel better. And so if you had a great experience with our soup and you think it's delicious and you love the branding and you love the bag, you trust us, right? So now when you see it in the grocery store, you're going to be like, oh, I, lo I love that brand. They made my mom feel great. Or like their matzo balls are amazing. I'm definitely going to put this on our Passover table. And so it's an opportunity for us to engage with a consumer base. Um, and so then there's a trust built in for when we are on the grocery stores. So we think it's a really unique opportunity. Uh, and, and then also, by the way, like DC is where we live. This is where there's still a need for it. So as right. long as we can do it, we will. Okay. So Towards the end of the show, we'll talk about how you sort of yeah. got into bed with the next two guests um, and brought them to your space. So Elliot, I want to bring you on. Um, Elliot, I haven't seen you in a really long time. When you guys opened the first uh, Astro Donuts and Fried Chicken, you came on Foodie and the Beast. Um, but you guys have really grown since then. So for people who aren't familiar, and I don't know how it's possible in the DC metro area that you haven't heard of Astro Donut and Fried Chicken, can you give everybody sort of your 411 of the concept and the products and all your spaces? Uh, absolutely. And thanks for having us on again. Mm -hmm. um, so Astro Donuts, we make um, artisan donuts and out of scratch daily, and we um, uh, make gourmet fried chicken. Um, we started roughly seven and a half years ago and have grown the business since we um, have our, our, our flagship store in Metro Center. And then we opened the beer hall last uh, year and a half ago now, um, uh, next door. That's with, satellite, right? That is um, Astro Beer Hall with the, uh, with, the beer hall, we, we partnered up with, satellite? We, we have a ghost kitchen called Satellite Sandwiches, which... Um, 
Okay. Um, steak and cheese sandwiches and and gourmet cookies, made okay. warm warm cookies. Right. Um, so. We have that, and then we have the beer hall, which we opened, like I said, a year and a half ago with um, Tin Shop, the group behind Franklin Hall and Penn Social, mm -hmm. um, which was tr trending very well. And we also have a store in Falls Church, and we have our food truck, which during the pandemic has been hitting all the neighborhoods um, weekly. <laughs> well, so let me ask. So, okay, so you have all these locations. I mean, you have yep. this beer hall. So. Yep is how, for people who don't understand how it works, are you making all your donuts in a central location or all the donuts made fresh at each location? Same thing with the fried chicken. Is fried chicken available at all the locations? How does, how does that all work? So uh, we now make all the donuts at a central location um, just because the, it's better to have all the skill in one place and, and the product exact every time. Um, we do cook, um, we, we fry to order chicken at all, all the locations. Mm -hmm. um, but with our donuts, our staff comes in at 2 a.m., starts, starts making the donuts, and um, it's quite a production these days. Yeah, I'll bet. There used to be a commercial about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we say, it, we say it every morning to each other. <laughs> uh, so tell me a little bit about how the pandemic affected what you guys were doing. I mean, you said the food truck is out and about and i mean i get that but um what about your actual locations delivery did that all change for you and then how what, you open up this huge beer hall you know a year and a half ago like yep. the timing um so how did you structure all that so um we were set up for takeout, so that helped us a, a little bit for the pandemic we you know we were already a, a takeout place but uh, you know our flagship store is in the center of the business district, and it it, it relies heavily on the business workers and the tourists. Mm -hmm. So that's been a little adjustment. Um, the food truck's been a rock star, especially early in the pandemic, because mm -hmm. you can bring that out and um, have very good days and and make some of the money back that that's hurt the other location. Mm -hmm. And Falls Church has kind of held steady. Um, so it's been an interesting mix. And, you know, downtown two years ago, I, I could tell you what it'd be like Tuesday at two, but now it's, it's just a, it's a different vibe down there. And it's, 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 it's been a, a challenge for sure. I bet. I think it's going to be really interesting to see, like, does cherry blossom season provide a bit of a boost to that area? Yep. I mean, not obviously what it's like in years past, but it's, just as it gets nicer, will more people be down at the mall? Will more people be, you know, will people start traveling more? Will they come and be in that area? Because you're, I mean, that area is, is dead. It just is. It's dead and it's, uh, it's picked up a little. And between, um, you know, a lot of protests over the year and other things that have hurt the business as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm hoping for Cherry Blossom and tourists to start coming back and, um museums would be nice as well that always gives us a a nice um pop as well so now with all your locations why join uh miss swag in her kitchen you know we in our dc location we were in the business district so we always closed at 5 30 and we knew there was a dinner crowd and 
in that location that got gave us an opportunity to reach further out through third party um, um, providers and also possibly tap into that dinner crowd that um, we've been missing for the last several years. Okay, so it was really more about delivery than it was about anything else. Delivery and fi financially, it was um, easier to get in a, a space like that with with um, two other partners. Okay, um, and we so you know how about I do this? I'm going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'll talk with Maria, and we'll talk about the product she's producing, and then we'll open it up to a roundtable and sort of talk about like why you all came together, how you're all working together in that space. Um, cause I don't know about you. I mean, I, my husband and my daughter are in my space now and it's, um, I mean, it's working, but I prefer the other way. So I just, I think we can have some fun conversations. This is Nikki Nellis. We are on industry night on real fun DC. We'll be back in just a second. Industry night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to real fun DC. Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Real Fun DC. This is Nikki Nellis. Um, we are talking about collaborative kitchens. Uh, Val Swig, uh opened up her kitchen space to other purveyors. Uh, we just talked with um, Elliot Spasman of Astro Donuts and Fried Chicken. And now we're going to talk to Maria. Maria, pronounce your last name for me so I do not butcher it again, please. It makes me nervous just reading it because I know I'm going to say it wrong. Um, Ituralde. Ituralde. It's yes. so pretty, and you say it's so pretty, and thank I do you. not. Uh, so tell us about your business model. Uh, first of all, Nikki, thank you so much for having us, uh, having us here. Thank you very much. Um, so Saya Salteña is uh, Bolivian street food. Uh, Salteñas have been part of Bolivian culture for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And I was just surprised of when I came from Bolivia in 1999 that there were just a couple of restaurants in Virginia, but there weren't really any in DC. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, uh, I was surprised and I just started, uh, you know, working on the Salteñas and the Salteña uh, recipe and, uh, you know, it just came to fruition and I'm just really happy that I'm able to share my heritage through food. Well, so for people who are not familiar, yes. can you talk us through, uh, it's like a dumpling, right? So yes, yes. You better than I can. So why don't you explain <laughs> what it is and how you serve it to people and how people access it. Okay, fantastic. So um, salteñas are, it's like a combination between a soup dumpling and pot pie and an empanada. Um, it's all, it's just a beautiful pastry so, uh, filled with stew and there's a specific way to eat it just because there's soup inside. So uh, the way that I explained to it, it's like if you were eating an ice cream cone, so you basically eat around the dough and then kind of slurp the juice. There's really no other way to do it. Slurping is recommended um, and then just enjoy the whole, um, the whole beautiful thing. And how big are they? Um, they're about the size of the palm of your hand. So uh, for me, one would be enough, but you just so you love it so much that you just end up eating two. <laughs> yeah, no, it feels like something I would want several of. Um, so and do they come in different flavors? Like, how do people order them? Give us a little walk guide. Fantastic. So um, they come in different flavors. So the classic flavors, the classic Bolivian flavors are spicy beef, beef, spicy chicken, chicken. Mm -hmm. I've introduced uh, vegan, uh, which is just starting to come out in the Bolivia, in Bolivia as well with quinoa. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, quinoa is Andean, is an Andean grain, and it's been part of our foods for hundreds, hundreds of years. So I thought it was just a great way to introduce that um, cute thing. And then um, I have two other salteñas, which are dessert salteñas, not very typical in Bolivia at all. But I just wanted to create a product that mixes uh, my Bolivian um, culture and then me being here in the United States. So I have the apple pie. So it's an apple pie with passion fruit, with maracuya, salteña. And then I have a twist on a French uh, pastry, which is um, frangipan. So it's pear, almond, and cranberry salteña. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, and you can order through all the delivery apps. Or so now, okay, so you've always done it through delivery. How uh, did, when did you launch your business? How did it get started? And how did you how did you get it into the hands of the diners? So as a matter of fact, I had a catering business before okay. COVID started. And um, I had to pivot. I had to pivot like many of us had to do to figure out and to survive. Um, I wanted to, I've had the Bolivian Salteña in my catering um, company for a long time, mm -hmm. but I thought this is a great way to just launch as much as I can of the Salteña and just focus on the Bolivian food. And I've gotten a lot of positive, positive reviews. Technically, I started basically in June of last year. So wow. I'm a COVID, I'm a COVID You're product. COVID business. You're yes. a COVID business. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So you had this catering business, obviously, I mean, I know catering, you know, for right now, it's just, I mean, it's just not what it once was. Um, but where were you doing your catering out of that made you decide to join Val and what at her space? Okay, so Val and Taryn have, we've known each other for um, about four or five years. We mm -hmm. actually known each other since Mess Hall, which is the kitchen incubator. Mm -hmm. That's where my catering uh, comes from. That's where I basically cook and the business and the whole nine yards. And okay. um, I've met Val and Taryn through there. Um, so it's just so crazy how things just happen. I'm just going to interrupt for a second. So for people who don't know, Mess Hall is one of the uh, food incubators here in the city. Um, Al is amazing. He really brings together an incredible uh group of people. It's a constantly rotating space where people really get to percolate their idea and hopefully bring it to fruition. Um, so Val and uh, Maria are both. I mean, uh, Val, are you still, you're not still there. Are you still there? No, you're not. So Val is an alum of it, but uh, we've had lots of people over the years, either from Mess Hall or Union Kitchen. Those are the two big incubators here in town, but there are new ones coming up. So Anyway, sorry, Maria. I just wanted to inform for people who did not know or remember what Mess Hall was. No, it's perfect. Thank you, thank you. And yeah, Val and Taryn are alums, but I'm still producing at the kitchen. Mm -hmm. uh, I produce the Salteñas at the kitchen. I basically sell at the 1819 store. Okay. All right. So I think this is a good way to bring Val back to the table and Elliot, you too. So Val, let's talk about the space that you're in. Let's talk about where it is and why you decided to bring others in with you. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'll start, I'll start at the end, which is that, you know, it was a COVID, it was a COVID opportunity, if we want to spin it positively. So, you know, we have always been, you know, we started, like Maria said, with Maria in Mess Hall, and 
because we were always a delivery business, we were at the mercy of the delivery companies and they would set their delivery fee. So very quickly, as they sort of figured out their plan, we realized we needed to be in a central location if we wanted to reach enough right, Because Mess Hall is not a central location, exactly. right? And so exactly. let me ask something. So uh, Mess Hall is in Northeast. Um, mm -hmm. So when you were working with the third party, party delivery systems, specifically at Mess Hall, and you wanted to do delivery, would they only give you a certain radius or do, could you ask for larger radius, radii? Yeah. How does so it work? When we started, and it's changed, but when we started, it's, I mean, I remember this so clearly. When we started, it was like five miles and we were like, okay, this is totally doable. And I, you know, sometime in November, three months later, I got a text from a friend who was like, I ordered from you on Uber last week and I can't get you on Uber this week. Are you closed? And I was like, we're not closed. I'm here. And we did some digging and we had found that they had dropped the radius to under a mile. And we were oh like, this is, this is devastating. And they right. wouldn't, we had a bit, we struggled with getting information or, or even really understanding it. But the real problem was we had, there was another drop in the summer and all of a sudden we went from getting, you know, summer is always seasonal for us, but we went from getting, you know, 15 or 20 orders, you know, in a day to 15 or 20 orders in a week. And so we were like, this is, we'll go out of business in a second. So we put the ask out to the, the DC community and Marjorie McBradley, who had a um, sandwich shop at the time, amongst other things, was like, you know, you can, you can room with us. So that was the start of our, our so sort you of. Could, so specifically you could room, what was the name of that sandwich shop? It was specifically. Huh? Smoked and stacked. Smoked and stacked. I used to love it there. We had a um, six foot table. We right. literally worked off of like a six foot table and we just worked in their kitchen. And just specifically, so you had more delivery. Correct. Because all of a sudden we now were better. We had a we had the same radius, but we were in a central location. So there was more human right. around. Right. So, I mean, so multiple areas, I guess is what I always say. Maria, did you want to say something? Oh no, I'm just nodding profusely because that's exactly what happened to me at Mess Hall. It's just very difficult. They, at the beginning, they said, okay, you have five mile radius. Perfect. Great. And then out of nowhere, it's like, wait a minute, I can't order in your app. And you think that the, what, the, what they're telling you is it's going to happen. But if it wasn't, if it wasn't for a client telling us, I wouldn't have known. So there's no transparency. No communication. So it's interesting because no what we were talking about with Kathy before I brought you all on was not about, you know, how it got out, but basically that, you know, you could order from anywhere, whether or not they're on the app. Right. And that's, I mean, it's so shady. Um, but this is a totally different thing. So like, you know, I live in Kensington, Maryland, and um, if it was five miles and you were in Shaw, I would be able to get it. But if it's only a mile, I mean, that just shrinks, you know, where you're getting your deliveries to. It, it is. I mean, it's, it's taking the control out of, of us running our businesses, right? Somebody else is in the driver's seat and, and, and sure for many businesses, but, but it's super relevant now, right? Because many businesses are not just delivery, but then all of a sudden COVID happened and you're only delivery. And so to have somebody else be dictating this while charging you crazy fees, you know, it's, it's a challenge. So, you know, for us, just quickly, we, we always then stayed in other people's houses. And, you know, we've talked about this before, Nikki, but the DC community is unbelievable and so collaborative. And so we've grown up and, and experienced that generosity from many people. Um, so we, we bounced around to a couple of different kitchens where we would just operate and activate the space. And it's always been great because it just helps offset somebody else's expenses. 
Um, but our last space, which we loved and would have stayed, um, you know, was a COVID casualty. They needed to downsize and they downsized our kitchen. And we said, uh-oh. <laughs> no, your kitchen, you're cooking in these spaces. Yeah? We do. I mean, we, we, yes, we've assemble, um, we're making, you know, we're putting everything together. We're cooking our matzo balls and our chicken and all of that. Okay. So we were out of a space and we saw this space um, on at 1819 7th Street in, in Shaw. It was a third generation restaurant. Um, I, you know, some friends of ours had been the restaurant that had been in there and then obviously COVID. But, you know, we walked by the space and Taryn and I were like, this space is amazing. It's too big for us, but it's, it's perfect. So we said to ourselves, you know, we know this, we know this strip. We'd actually like, you know, temporarily been in one of those strips. We said, you know, this landlord is really interesting. He is, he is open to interesting concepts, right? The, the drink bar uh, bars were there and that, those were always changing. And he is obviously a progressive landlord. So we called him and we said, look, this is what we want to do. We want to take this space. Let's commit to two years. We don't need to commit to 25 years. Let's see where we all are in a few years and let's find some other other entities, so it's too big for us, but us plus two friends who can share utilities, share burden, share rent, it's totally awesome. And he was super on board and so we did it. I mean, I think I signed a lease and opened the restaurant two weeks later, <laughs> which is fairly fun. Right, I mean, you know, Elliot, how did you wind up on board with this? And why was this appealing to your business model and what you guys were doing? Um, I think, we ended up on board through a mutual friend. And I just think when the opportunity came and a, a, a chance to expand the reach, especially now that we rely so heavily on third parties, it, it was it was the right opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, just because like I said in, before the business district was has not been thriving. So um, get in front of uh, just a bigger audience. Okay. And um, do you, so since the three of you are there, do you like sort of market yourself that way? Does it matter with third-party delivery services that you're all in the same space? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I think it plays off each other. And I think, you know, the, the more food you have kind of in a space, the more people you draw and, and it, it, they're all comfort foods. So they all kind of play off each other in a, in a nice way where you're, right. you're not really competing, but probably, you know, someone can't eat, unfortunately, fried chicken and donuts every day of the week. But if you go in there, you you have other options and it's it it's helpful. So you um, grow your client base, why they kind of grow their client base as well. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, are you all marketing together? Is there yeah. an e-blast that you do, you know, that lets everybody know about, you know, um, each of your businesses so that people are constantly aware? Because promotions come up. I mean, Maria mentioned she does desserts now, right? So like everybody's doing different things. Um, how do you work together to help each other? Yeah, I think we're super collaborative. It's been a really nice process. I think we just kind of say like, hey, what do we want? Like, how do we want to focus? And I think for all of us, it's about getting the word out. So I think that is the critical piece. So what are the actions that we can do to market just to let people know that we're here, right? Um, the more that they know about my brand, they may not need it today, but then they know that it's there for when they do need it. So it's all about like local marketing to buildings. So the neighbors know that we're there, maybe direct mailings and really just trying to let people know like, Hey, we are all here, um, you know, for you to get what you need and, and, and yeah. And so Maria with you, are you 
how do you utilize the space? Is it just about getting your delivery, expanding your delivery? Can people come in and buy there? Yes, so it's it's both. It's a delivery and it's our basically our first storefront, which is just very exciting for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I could say I'm one of the first salteñerias in DC. I think so that's very... that. I'm <laughs> you. I think that's true. So very excited about that. Um, and as Val and Elliot said, I mean, I think this was just a match made in heaven. We all just complement. I think we all complement each other so well. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Elliot, people getting donuts from Elliot and then getting a Sultania for me and then just getting soup from Val, it just, it just works so well. And it's just a perfect match. It's also interesting. Can I say one more quick thing? Absolutely. Yeah, so the space, in my opinion, was a, was a rough restaurant space. It's long and narrow and there's a really- Can you tell me who was in it before so I- Yeah, Drift and Fishnet and then Mason Dixie. Okay, I know. You know where it was. Okay, gotcha. So it's a yeah. long and skinny space, but there's a big column right in the like in the middle of the front. So from a like viewpoint when you're walking by the street, you block all the energy and all like the humans that in the old days that would have been sitting and that you know that's such a draw like you want to walk by and see a space that's bustling. So it it it's in my opinion not a great restaurant space, but it's an excellent space for us because each person has their own location. And so like Elliot's on one side and Marie's on the other side and then we're in the back because we're primarily delivery and it it kind of works out very well in the way that you know to translate for this type of space. Interesting. And what about like pulling resources and things of that nature? I mean, does that work for each of you like to, to do this with the space? Yeah. I mean, I'll start and then you guys take it, but look, I, I think the things that are really interesting, right. Are, you know, basic things like obviously sharing internet and sharing electricity, like that's, that's helpful for anybody, but right. you know, there's minimums for, for deliveries. So, you know, if you get your paper order and like you don't have enough stuff and you need to get cleaner but it's true it's nice you know as a restaurant owner you don't want to have so much you know inventory sitting on your shelf because that's dollars and so all of a sudden to be able to pull what you need share minimums it's just so much better in terms of your cost of goods and so you know there really may come a time in the summer when you know soup is perhaps a little slower although i hope not that like we don't want to place you know a whole order for or produce, but Maria needs something also when we can both order and then work backwards from that. So, I, you know, I think that really a, instead of a collaborative, it's almost like a co-op, right? Because everybody is like cooperating together. You have more buying power yeah. because you all may need different things, right? Yeah. Whether it's like containers or paper towels or all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think that that's probably a benefit. It's not the usual, but it's there if we need it. And that that is the nicest thing. Um, and that's, again, one more way that it just is helpful in the long term of the business, right? Like if, if there's a struggle in the summer, rather than wasting that money, there's an opportunity to be smarter about it. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's really interesting. Um, well, I love that you guys are doing this. I guess my question is, is that would you expand this concept? Would you find another space in another location so you have greater reach for delivery? Anyone? Nobody wants to answer that question? I, I'm happy to answer. Absolutely. I think uh, especially, you know, you're always trying to build the brand and, and, meet, and reach new audience. And I think it, the COVID environment has kind of changed that where you don't need as big as spaces to work out of anymore. Mm -hmm. And sometimes smaller is better. Mm -hmm. um, and if 
you know, you can As coexist. As a person who's only five feet tall, I have been doing that a really long time, but go ahead, you can take it to the <laughs> um, So it always, it, 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 it's definitely changed the environment. And I think uh, having partners like them has helped. And I think it, it would work in different locations around the city. Great. Um, listen, guys, I want to thank you all for joining me today. I, I really applaud this a communal way of working together. You know, it's so important uh, in these times that we we look to our neighbors to figure out how we can help each other. And as I say constantly, you know, not just survive, but also thrive for, you know, our mental health and our businesses. All of it is important. So um, I'd like each of you to please tell everybody uh, where they can find you online and where you can order from. Uh, Maria, tell everybody where they can find you. Okay, uh, you guys can find us on our website, sayasaltena.com, okay. or you can find us in the delivery apps, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, uh, Postmates, and Chow Now. Excellent. And do you, are you on Instagram? I am on Instagram, sayasaltena.com, sayasaltena, and then Facebook as well, sayasaltena. Excellent. All right, Val? You can find us at prescriptionchicken.com. Same with all of the third parties. You can also find us at Whole Foods Market, Glenn's Garden Market, Balducci's. Instagram is prescription chicken and uh, website is prescriptionchicken.com. Excellent. Thanks. And Elliot, where can everybody find you all? Uh, Astrodonuts.com, um, all the third party delivery apps, and then our handle for Instagrams uh, at Astrodonuts. Excellent. All right, guys. Thank you all so much. Um, that was such an interesting conversation. I love hearing people think outside the box and uh, work together to get their businesses up and running. What I think is really interesting, what we heard from Elliot and Val and Maria, was that their reach was confined because of third-party delivery systems. And um, as you may recall, we talked with DC2GoGo, a new local third-party delivery system, and they really struggle with how far they can promise to deliver things to. It's, it's going to be changing a lot. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with third-party delivery systems and how restaurants continue to use them and what their reach will be. So let's stay tuned on that. Uh, so I wanna thank you once again for joining me on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Uh, please remember to uh, support your local restaurants and retail. Check out the list, areyouonit.com, for your, the latest and greatest happening around the D.C. metro area. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. Subscribe to Industry Night and Foodie and the Beast. Mask up, dip your bods in hand sanitizer, please, and uh, be safe. Have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real fun D.C.